We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 284 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, April 4th, 2022, a day on which we will crown a national champion in college basketball. One-seeded Kansas versus eight-seeded North Carolina at Caesars Superdome in New Orleans, Monday night at 9.20. If the game is anywhere, near as good as Carolina's win over two-seeded Duke in the Final Four on Saturday night was. We are in for a treat. Uh, Carolina Duke, it turns out, right, lived up to the hype. Uh, No doubt it was great to see that. And yes, it was great to see the head coaching career of Mike Krzyzewski and uh, with a loss. Coach K was Coach L on Saturday night. Now look, Krzyzewski is one of the all-time heels in sports. A guy against whom I, and I know many of you, love to root. I respect the heck out of what Krzyzewski accomplished as a head coach. How could you not? But I had no interest in Coach K ending his final season with yet another national championship. And so yes, I was rooting for Carolina. I went to Maryland, but I was rooting for UNC, especially considering that the Tar Heels head coach, Hubert Davis, is a local. Uh, Hubert Davis went to Lake Braddock Secondary School in Burke, Virginia. Hubert Davis also played for the Wizards 2000 to 2002. Hello and welcome to a Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We on Sunday night had the Grammys. Uh, Did anybody get slapped? No? Good. Uh, Well, the owner of our commanders, Dan Snyder, has been slapped uh, with yet another scandal slash controversy, potential financial impropriety. And we on Saturday night during the Final Four had a major breaking story. Congress has received information that alleges that the commanders kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. In other words, Congress has received information that alleges that Dan Snyder stole money from other NFL teams. Now, Dan in no way has been proven guilty of this. It may be that this information is wrong, but 
this information exists. And if it's true that Dan and the commanders did this, uh, this is a huge deal. The kind of a deal that could cost Dan his ownership of the team. Uh, next segment, I'll give you my thoughts. And then after that, I will welcome on to the podcast the reporter who broke this story on Saturday night, Sports Business Insider, A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports. Uh, his story became national news. A.J. is on this podcast to discuss his story and what went into it. You know, A.J. Perez was the very first guest on the Al Galdi podcast all the way back on episode four. And here we are now with episode 284. Uh, also on the show, I will discuss the Commanders team president, Jason Wright, opening up big time about the team's search for a new stadium. Uh, Jason spoke with our guest on Friday's show, episode 283, Eric Flack, chief investigative reporter for WUSA 9. Uh, Jason talked about whether the Commanders next stadium will have a roof. Uh, Jason talked about how much longer the team will be playing home games in the oh-so-wonderful venue of FedEx Field. Uh, Jason talked about whether the Commander's quest for a new stadium comes down to money. Uh, Jason talked about the erosion of the team's fan base and much more. You will hear every key thing that Jason said and my reactions to those things coming up in a bit. Uh, I will talk Capitals of a bad game. For them on Sunday night, first game in six days, uh, the result was uh, not good. A 5-1 loss to the Minnesota Wild at Capital One Arena on Sunday night. Uh, speaking of not playing well on Sunday, <laughs> I will talk Wizards. Uh, what a strange weekend for the Wiz. Friday night, a really impressive 135-103 route of the Dallas Mavericks at Capital One Arena. But then on Sunday afternoon, a 144 102 loss at the Boston Celtics. Uh, as the Celtics, yes, very much made the Wizards humble. Make him humble. Yes, as the Iron Sheik would say, as Shaky Baby would say, make him humble. Make him humble. Yes, Shiki, I hope you had a nice WrestleMania weekend. Uh, and I will talk baseball on the show. Opening day is this Thursday. We, over the last few days, have had a bunch of things come up with the Nationals and the Orioles. I'll get into the latest. As remember, no podcast covers Washington, D.C. area sports like this podcast does. Good to have you with us. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Kent Phillips on something for which we have been searching for months now, a potential one-syllable nickname for the commanders. Writes Kent, I continue to enjoy all your good content on the podcast. Keep up the good work. I saw J.P. Finley refer to the team name as the Durs. What are your thoughts? You think this could work? Or too strange? Well, thank you for the email, Kent. Uh, yes, I have seen Durs be used. Durs, to me, sounds like you're mocking the name of the team. You know, Durs. Uh, calling the team the Durs uh, sounds like something that you say in an ironic or tongue-in-cheek way. You know, not in a serious or an affectionate way. So I am not a Durs fan. I am not a user of Durs. Uh, I do, though, like a nickname that my man JP stumbled into recently, the Commanders. 
How do you like that? Commanders plus Panthers equals Commanders. Given all, and I mean all, of the former Carolina Panthers playing and working for the Commanders. Commanders. That's perfect, right? I think that's a good one. Uh, email from Jeff Marshall on something that's a big deal with our Commanders, but uh, rarely gets talked about. And this big deal has to do with a former employee of the Panthers. Right, Jeff? Love the podcast, Al. Your insight is always helpful. There is one issue that I have not heard addressed at all from our football team, and it really bothers me. It has to do with the role of the head athletic trainer. Since we are talking about a football team and the team needs athletes to be in top condition, one would assume that a head athletic trainer would have great importance to the success of the team. One would assume that this person would help direct those on the medical and training staff with vision and goals and an overall plan on developing the athletes. One would assume this person would help to oversee the recoveries from major injuries with which this team has had a number to be concerned. But here we are almost six months since Ryan Vermillion was put on administrative leave after his office was raided by the DEA and the commanders have yet to fill this important role. What is going on? Uh, Jeff, thank you for the email. Excellent question. So we this past February 28th had multiple reports that the commanders had been interviewing multiple candidates to be the team's new head athletic trainer. And Ron Rivera at his press conference last Tuesday morning at the NFL's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida, did say that the team will be hiring a head athletic trainer. But as far as we know, no new head athletic trainer has been hired. Uh, It would seem that the commanders are moving on from their previous head athletic trainer, Ryan Vermillion. Uh, though he still hasn't been formally charged with anything. But yes, uh, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department this past October 1st conducted searches at Washington's practice facility and at Vermillion's residence. Never forget the incredible irony to that because it was on October 1st that we actually had DEA night at Nationals Park. Yes, A 4-2 loss to the Boston Red Sox at Nationals Park this past October 1st took place on what was DEA night at Nationals Park. And it was on that day, October 1st, that the DEA and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department conducted searches at Washington's practice facility and at the residence of Ryan Vermillion. What are the odds of that? Uh, Then, October 4th, we learned uh, that Vermillion had been placed on administrative leave due to an ongoing criminal investigation that, per the team, never forget, was unrelated to the team. Yes, unrelated to the team, so unrelated to the team that the team's practice facility was raided by the feds. Uh, We, on October 7th, had multiple reports that the DEA investigation had to do with prescription drugs, and things have remained up in the air ever since. Uh, Ryan Vermillion is, or at least was, Washington's director of sports medicine and head athletic trainer, and Vermillion is very much a Ron Rivera guy. Uh, Never forget that. Vermillion spent 18 seasons 
as the head athletic trainer for the Carolina Panthers. 2002 through 2019, nine of those seasons were spent working under then Panthers head coach Ron Rivera. And then Ron hired Vermillion as one of Ron's first major hires as Washington head coach. Uh, The team officially hired Ron as head coach on New Year's Day 2020. Uh, The team officially hired Vermillion on January 6th. 2020. Well, also in the year 2020 was Ron Rivera dealing with skin cancer. Uh, The cancer that Ron had was a form of skin cancer called squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, Skin cancer is among the most common of all cancers in the United States, but skin cancer also is among the most curable forms of cancer. Get checked, get screened, and someone who very much can help you with that is Dr. George Verghese. Dr. George Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big fan of the commanders. He is a loyal listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. In fact, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings and offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer. Uh, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are the DMV's number one outlet for Mohs skin cancer surgery and for superficial radiation therapy, or SRT, which is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. You won't find better, more state-of-the-art, or more comprehensive skin treatments and services than what you get from Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Early detection and treatment of skin cancer save lives. If you have questions or concerns about your skin, call Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you tell the Institute that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301 396 3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. Well, one of the greatest ironies in the history of crime in this country is what ultimately took down Al Capone. And many of you know this item, what ultimately took down Al Capone. Uh, Al Capone was a gangster who gained notoriety during Prohibition. He was the co-founder and boss of something called the Chicago Outfit. Uh, The Chicago Outfit was a Chicago-based mafia. Al Capone went to prison at the age of just 33. Yes, Al Capone was in prison in his age 33 season, uh, but he went to prison not for, you know, murder or drug trafficking or anything like that. No, Al Capone went to prison for income tax evasion. Income tax evasion ultimately is what did in the notorious gangster, the man who was known as Scarface, Al Capone. 
Well, Dan Snyder is nowhere near as bad of a person as Al Capone was. Let's make that clear. But would it not be ironic in the same way that income tax evasion ultimately did in Al Capone if skimming off ticket revenue ultimately is what does in Dan Snyder as owner of the Commanders? For all of the scandals and controversies and feuds and abhorrent displays of incompetence, could it be, might it be, that would broke on Saturday night as many of us were watching the Final Four and or WrestleMania, uh, ultimately, is what does in the Danny. So the man who will join me on the show next segment, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, uh, he on Saturday night came out with a piece that added more detail to the House Committee on Oversight and Reform examining potential financial impropriety by the commanders. As you may recall, it was last Thursday that we had multiple reports that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which is the congressional committee that has been investigating the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, now is examining potential financial impropriety by the team. The details of the House Oversight Committee's examination of potential financial impropriety by the commanders first came from A.J. Perez. A.J. has been all over this story. Well, A.J. on Saturday night reported that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform has received information that alleges that the commanders kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. Uh, That, my friends, is a big no-no, a major no-no in the NFL, keeping ticket revenue that is supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. According to NFL bylaws, all teams are required to pass along 40% of ticket sales from each home game, minus ticket handling charges and taxes, to the NFL. The NFL then disperses the money to visiting teams. An NFL team doesn't just keep 100% of the team's ticket revenue. There is revenue sharing. Uh, This is part of why nobody ever talks about big market NFL teams versus small market NFL teams, the way that we talk about big market Major League Baseball teams versus small market Major League Baseball teams. Every team in the NFL is pretty much on the same playing field financially. Well, according to AJ in his report, That came out on Saturday night, quote, at least one person gave information in recent weeks to congressional investigators that alleges the commanders didn't pass along the full 40% to sources with knowledge of the investigation told front office sports. It is not clear how long this alleged scheme ran for or who authorized it. The commanders and the NFL learned about the allegations in recent weeks, one source told front office sports, end quote. Uh, I cannot emphasize the following enough to you. Once an NFL owner loses the other NFL owners, he is done. Understand, the NFL is truly run by the NFL owners. The NFL isn't truly run by the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell. All of the focus on and bashing of Goodell over the years to me, really has been misplaced. I'm not saying that he hasn't been worthy of criticism, but when people focus their attention on Goodell, to me, they're falling for the work. They're falling for the con. They're falling for the okey-doke, okay? Roger Goodell works for the NFL owners. He is in place to do the bidding of the owners. The owners truly run the NFL. And so when it comes to an NFL owner being ousted, 
that truly is up to the other NFL owners, not to Goodell. An NFL owner will remain in place as long as the other NFL owners want that owner in place. This is like the mafia. You're a made guy until you aren't a made guy. And so once an NFL owner loses the other NFL owners, he's done. Dan Snyder skimming off ticket revenue, essentially stealing money from the other NFL owners, is the kind of thing that, if true, would infuriate the other owners and thus is the kind of thing that could truly make him done. Honestly, I don't think that the other NFL owners care all that much about the workplace misconduct scandal, in part because I think that at least a decent amount of the workplace misconduct scandal stuff that has gone on with the team now known as the Commanders also has gone on with plenty of other NFL teams. And so the workplace misconduct scandal has never been what is going to cause the other NFL owners to turn on Dan Snyder unless the scandal becomes too outrageous in terms of bad publicity and too outrageous in terms of trouble for the league and too outrageous in terms of Dan perhaps not cooperating as he should. However, Dan stealing money from the other owners, uh, oh, uh, the other NFL owners would have a problem with that. They would have a big problem with that. Dan Snyder stealing money from the other owners more than the workplace misconduct scandal and every other Dan controversy uh, is the kind of thing that could truly make him done. Now, Dan would need to be guilty of having done this, and we don't know if he is guilty of having done this. A.J. Perez on Saturday night reported that the House Oversight Committee has received information that alleges that the commanders kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. Nothing has been proven, and it's important to keep that in mind. If Dan and the team are not guilty of this, then Dan probably still isn't going anywhere. And I tell you what, Dan could start to become a, believe it or not, sympathetic figure of sorts, if it starts to feel like Congress is picking on him and targeting him for things that he didn't do. And it turns out that he isn't guilty of these things that are coming up. Now, we are a ways away from Dan becoming a sympathetic figure, but I do think that that possibility, however far-fetched, does exist. There's also this too. To me, it is still debatable whether Congress should be spending so much time investigating a football team, uh, especially now investigating potential financial impropriety by that football team. Like Congress looking into the workplace misconduct scandal is one thing because workplace misconduct is an important issue. But if you're wondering, why is Congress spending time on whether the commanders kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams? Shouldn't the NFL be looking into that? Why does Congress care? about that. If you're asking yourself those questions, uh, you're not alone. I've asked myself those questions. So I do think that there's a conversation to be had about whether all of this is congressional overreach. But that issue is separate from whether Dan Snyder and the commanders are guilty of having kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. If it's true that Dan has been stealing money from the other NFL owners, uh, that may well be it for him as owner of the Commanders. Uh, I know that we've had this discussion multiple times over the last two years with all of the scandals and controversies that have come up with Dan and the team since July 2020. You know, is this it for Dan Snyder? Is Dan Snyder done? Is Dan Snyder about to be out? 
Well, here we are in April 2022, and Dan actually is more powerful than ever before in terms of his ownership of the team and the value of the team. But that can change. And sometimes in life, things change quickly. Uh, If Dan has been stealing money from the other NFL owners, and that's an if, but if Dan has been doing that, uh, things could be changing in a massive way sooner rather than later. And so let's get to it. My conversation with sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports. All right. Well, nobody has done a better job of reporting on this uh, potential financial impropriety by the commanders than the person who joins me now on the Al Galdi podcast, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports. You can read his work at frontofficesports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at by A.J. Perez. That's B-Y-A.J. Perez. A.J., excellent work lately, man. How are you? We're doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. It's always interesting to me when news breaks and when major reports come out. It's not often that something big comes out on a Saturday night, as your report this past Saturday night did. Did you just get the intel on Saturday? Uh, I had going into the owners' meetings, uh, which was uh, about a week ago now. Uh, I got some information about the congressional investigation, and I was actually poking around. And the team executives I talked to knew by Monday and Tuesday what I was working on. That was the Thursday story about the about the House Oversight Committee kind of shifting the focus a little bit away from hostile workplace towards financial improprieties alleged, of course. Um, and uh, so I had that, and um, and this is information that I talked to my NFL sources that they that, that they had, and and I found out the team also had. They 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 knew about a couple people talking. Um, to the to the House Oversight Committee uh, in recent weeks, um, the, but yeah, it was. I heard inkling. It was after that first story ran. I was kind of tipped off on what a little more precisely uh, what some of the stuff they're looking for, and that ended up being the uh, which I knew a little bit about the whole the whole the whole ticketing and not. And this is the only part of the profits of, of, a, of a local franchise. You have to you have to forward the NFL are are the ticket sales, and there's some exceptions, PSLs, and they actually it's. It's gotten uh, they've they've had a forward more over the years because now they include luxury suites and other stuff more, but that doesn't include parking or sponsorship or anything else. But it's just on it's basically it's it's the total gate for home games and and uh, that 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 has to be forward to the NFL and and they do audits um, every year uh, that to to make sure the teams are are giving the fair share. Um, and uh, my sources have since to said that that the NFL had no issues and there's you know on background. That that the team didn't participate in this, and that uh, and uh, calling into question the the testimony that was given to this committee. One of the ironies of what you reported on Saturday night is that Washington's attendance last season was horrible. Uh, Washington for the 2021 regular season was dead last out of 32 NFL teams by miles in percent capacity. At home games, did the team's alleged skimming off ticket revenue happen just this past season, or in previous seasons, or do we just not know? I have a kind of a, I have a rough timeline. It was multiple seasons. It looks like they let the allegations say. I don't know when it started, or when it or, or where it ended. I don't uh, have that information. Um, I have a, I'm pretty sure the committee does, but I don't. Um, the committee doesn't give me <laughs> doesn't give us reporters much, if anything. We've I got a statement 
Thursday before my story ran and the Washington Post story ran. And so I knew that, you know, I've, I, I went down to Congress, so it's been a couple of weeks now, but I knocked on a lot of doors. Um, pretty much every member of that committee has got my business card. Um, and, uh, so that, that kind of, I, I knew then something was, that was two weeks ago almost now. I knew something then it was, it was going beyond workplace culture, but that was only one source at the time and I've gotten multiple cents. All right. So we last Thursday had multiple reports that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which has been investigating the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, now is examining potential financial impropriety by the team. You were the first person to provide specifics on what Congress is looking at regarding this potential financial impropriety by the team. And then you on Saturday night had the report that the House Oversight Committee has received information that alleges that the commanders kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. I want to ask you something about the House Oversight Committee looking into potential financial impropriety by the team. Is this a result of the committee discovering things via documents that have been turned over to the committee regarding the workplace misconduct scandal and the House Oversight Committee just has kind of sort of stumbled into this potential financial impropriety by the team? Or is the House Oversight Committee looking into potential financial impropriety by the team uh, based on something that the House Oversight Committee has been told by someone, i.e. a tip from someone? I saw what Austin Hacker who is the Republican spokesperson for the House Oversight Committee, said on Friday in his statement that, quote, a disgruntled ex-employee with an axe to grind, end quote, is at the root of all of this? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they're, uh, the name, some of the names have, they have, some of the names did come up during the toxic workplace investigation of some current and former employees. Um, and I don't know, they had those names and they had their job descriptions and how long they worked there, for sure. But uh, I don't think they... They, they knew until recently, and I'm not sure who tipped them off. If it was, um, you know, if it was anybody that was part of the, any, any of the women, for example, um, you know, a lot of them, they didn't work in this part of the organization, um, as far as I know, uh, but they, but they may have had knowledge of it and may have said, hey, look into this, and they may, have, and that, and I'm just. I'm just guessing at this point, but I think there, I, I don't know the exact, but there, there, there was some overlap of uh, some, some former employees that were, that may have said, Hey, why don't you look at this? I'm sure that team Dan Snyder has given you pushback on your reporting. What, if anything, has team NFL had to say to you about your reporting? Well, I laid out uh, before I, earlier Saturday, I had four or five bullet points of stuff I was working on. And I ended up right after I said that to the NFL, uh, I, I received further confirmation of one of those, which is what I reported on. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff floating around out there. It's a lot of noise around Saturday. There always has been. I live you know, here in Loudoun County. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not too far from, uh, from, from team headquarters. A lot. There's been so much turnover. I, uh, I've, uh, well, uh, it's been hard to, work to I don't have, there's so many NDAs that non, non-disclosure agreements that I, even the people I know there who fairly well don't talk to me. They can't talk to me. And they're like, you know, I've almost, I've, I've stopped asking. So it's like, you know, they don't want to violate, you know, they don't, you know, they, they weren't caught up in any of the hostile workplace games or anything like that. There's just been a lot of turnover. Um, and we saw the analytics uh, guy leave on uh, leave earlier, like a couple of days ago. Um, so there, it's, there's a lot of people, there's just so much turnover. A lot of people are just with so much chatter, you know, secondhand, a lot of it about Snyder and it's, it's picked up. It, it was, I've, I've heard more things over the last couple of weeks than I've, than I've heard it before 
the the, the Washington Post uh, the summer of tw- summer of 2020 published the you know, their their two big features exclusives on on the allegations of harassment and such. Um, I just it's 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 been people are talking and I you know it's a lot of it secondhand because NDAs, but I have it's 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 really there's so many things to chase and it's hard. I mean you can a lot of this has not turned out to be accurate. Um, but uh, I can report on you know this part because the what I what I've been told Congress has way more than I have, but what I've been told hasn't passed along to Congress so far. You mentioned all of the turnover in Commander's business operations. We know that many people on the team's business side have left the team since the start of the calendar year. Do you know if the departures are more people leaving by their own choice, i.e., you know, jumping from the proverbial sinking ship, or people being let go by the team? It's a little, a little bit of both. People are going to move on to jobs. You know, there's, there's, uh, um, and whenever a new, you know, Jason Wright's been there for a bit now, but whenever there's a new uh, management in charge, it's been, then they hired Rivera. He wants his own people in there. So it's whenever a team changes uh, coaches or GMs, you got Martin Mayhew in there, um, you know, team presidents. There, there's going to be turnover, but there's been turnover in, in, in departments that, um, that really, that don't have an impact on a new coach or a new GM. There's a turnover. It's been, it's been kind of, it's I'd say every department there because it's, but it's, 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 it's been, it's been pretty constant. And, um, it's, and, and that's going back a couple last two years. So it's nothing new. Um, there's a lot of new employees and I don't know all the reasons. I know some of them were, I've, I've reported on some of them being, being let go for impropriety when it comes to not to sexual harassment, not, I know I know of nobody who was forced out for allegations of um, financial misconduct. We're discussing alleged financial impropriety by the commanders with the person who has been at the forefront of the reporting on the scandal, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports. So something that hit me more than anything when I saw your report on Saturday night is that if it's true that Dan Snyder kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams, uh, that misdeed far more than anything from the workplace misconduct scandal or any of his other controversies truly could cost him ownership of the team. Because we're now talking about Dan essentially stealing money from other NFL owners. And we know how much they care about their money, uh, seemingly more so than anything from a workplace misconduct scandal. Do you see things that way? That if Dan's guilty of what you reported that the House Oversight Committee now is looking into with him, that this could be the knockout punch for Dan as owner of the Commanders? I don't know. It, if it's proved, it, we're, we're talking about, see, the, the team's getting about $200 million a year um, from the uh, from the TV deals. That, that, that money kicks in July, August every year. Um, and, uh, so that covers pretty much all the salary gap, which is around two, a little over $200 million right now. So we're talking about maybe we're, let's say it was 20 to 30 million. So that's about 10% of what the TV money is. So it's not huge. And, 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 and there's no, we don't know the percentage that, that if it was held back, what, what the percentage was, so we could be talking a few hundred thousand dollars. It was that maybe, wow. so that, does that, is that enough? Is that, is, is that I've seen people talk, you know, what is that? And what does it mean as far as, you know, it, it, it does affect the cap. So if it affects the players and NFLPA, hopefully we'll, we'll weigh in a little bit pretty soon on this. And, uh, but it, it also, you know, there, and I'll, there's always people going to say, Oh, this happens to every team. Oh, maybe I've talked to people around the league who do ticketing, um, um, since the story. So I started working on the story. Um, and it does, you know, they're, 
they're just like they're just amazed that that this if this happened that you know that that this team did it. it I don't think it's widespread. Um, don't know for sure, but the people I've talked to, it's like this is like all like wow. It's like you know, <laughs> but it's it just the, the hard thing is like who authorized it. I don't have that. It does not. We don't know if Snyder said, "Hey, do this." We don't know yet, um, and he may. He, we don't know who who uh, who if the scheme actually happened. Who gave the okay for it? And uh, um, and that's also you know the whole two sets of books thing. This is part of it. It's we don't know we don't know what what the auditors were shown. We don't know what the league was shown, and uh, that's going to be. Um, you know, I'm sure if the subpoenas go out, I'm sure they're going to find they're going to try to get that information. Do you believe that Congress will be using its subpoena power? Yeah, my report Thursday said yes, um, and uh, I know a lot of the people that I have, not know a lot of people. I am guessing that I've, from my sources uh, that who would be hit first, and there's a lot of you know, CFO former CFO types, um, anybody who dealt with the operation side, um, you know, both. In Ashburn and the ticketing side, which is over at, over over at FedEx, so there's uh, there's there's a lot of people who could you know receive you know more because that, that's the whole thing. Since, since this investigation started uh, in October uh, on behalf of the Congress, they they've been stymied by the NFL and the and the team on on, on documentation. You know, they this this all started after John Gruden's emails were published by the Washington Post and New York Times. And uh, so days later, they announced this, announced this investigation. And from that point, they have been just just have not gotten any much cooperation from the league. And a lot of it is on Snyder because and the league, basically, because Snyder did have kind of, you know, Snyder did have a little bit of a say when it comes to the Beth Wilkinson investigation on, 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 the, on the public release. And, uh, you know, that's that's been, that's why I think this this current investigation by Mary Jo White, that was in, that, that that was announced after the Super Bowl. I think, uh, and that's supposed to be made public. I think that's, you know, that's another one. I don't know. We don't, that's the timetable. But, but the clock's ticking on the congressional investigation. If Congress turns red, this investigation's over. If, uh, and, uh, and we don't know when Mary Jo White, um, you know, former SEC chair, who's also doing the Brian Flores last week investigation, when she's going to be done. Yeah, it's hard to keep track of all of the investigations. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the Bruce Allen emails from his time as a Redskins executive. The leaking of those emails reignited this workplace misconduct scandal, which basically was done. The Bruce Allen emails caused Congress to start looking into the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. We still do not know who leaked those emails, but whoever leaked those emails really is the root cause of Congress getting involved. And now all of these subsequent problems for Dan Snyder and the team, what a turning point the leaking of those emails was. Yeah, and a lot of people said it was, it was, it was Snyder. I don't know why he would, because you're right, it was dead. It was like, you know, these women were kind of on an island, unfortunately. They, were, they, 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 didn't, they didn't get a full report. They didn't, they, the Snyder was, Snyder was not sanctioned. As far as we know, he wasn't sanctioned. The team was fine. Um, but we don't, but there's, there's been, that's why Goodell's comments on Tuesday coming in the wake of, the, of my last two stories where he kind of hinted at reinstatement and wanting to talk to Dan. And it's like, I think, you know, the NFL knew at that point that, that we know now Goodell has known for, for many days before he went to that press conference that, that there was some, you know, that, you know, this, this investigation had taken a turn. And I think I think he's I think I think the league and and uh, Goodell is still trying to figure out what's going on, um, if anything, if there's any truth to any of these allegations. 
I want to go back to something that you reported last Thursday, the initial details of what Congress is looking at regarding the potential financial impropriety by the commanders. One of the things that you reported is that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is interested in whether the debt load that Dan Snyder has undertaken is impacting the team's finances. Is there a belief that Dan has a major cash flow problem? There is rumors that he has, but nothing substantiated. I don't. It's so hard to. And I've, I've talked to the other owners about this. Some of the on, on, on background uh, over in Florida, uh, and they're just amazed. It's because, like, literally, like I said, the two hundred million dollars a year you get from TV covers your biggest expense, which is the players' salaries, um, and that doesn't include everything else that you know the. The sports betting partnerships that that the that the league shares, all the all, all the national advertisers that the league shares with the NFL teams, all and that doesn't count. You know, obviously they lost Anheuser Busch, um, a couple of, that 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 was reported a few days back, um, which is four million dollars a year. My sources say that while it's four million dollars a year, the that sponsorship, they, the the teams, and this goes around the league, the teams can't really count that money as as much because it can kind of arrive sporadically over throughout the year. So it's kind of like it's it's that's a it's a loss and that's a big chunk. It's a huge advertiser to lose. It doesn't look good. Um, and now that they, they were one of the they were one of the the, the brands targeted by the uh, boycott. Dan, um, uh, you know, I've I've reached out to all. It was like when that started, I reached out to every single company on that list. Um, so that that you know, we, they didn't say, come out and say it was because of this, but it you know, this is all part of it, and this is all. Amid trying to get a new stadium, and this is not a good look right now. And um, you know, there's a lot of people out there who, who you know, honestly don't like Dan Snyder. Um, and it's hard; it's been hard to kind of parse, you know, the reality of just people not liking him to what whether he actually did anything wrong. And that's, and I think uh, Congress, I think Congress is in the same boat as us journalists when trying to figure that out. But they have subpoena power that we don't have, and able to print compel people to testify that I don't have. Something else from your reporting last Thursday, you mentioned that Dan Snyder last year in buying out his three now former disgruntled minority partners, Dwight Shaw, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith paid $950 million. Uh, There was reporting last year that the price was $875 million. Just for the sake of clarity, the price was in fact $950 million? Uh, I... I put near. I had nine fifty, and I were, at the time I had heard nearly a billion dollars. I've heard a range around that. I think I was trying to maybe. Oops, maybe I was. Be, so it was, I, I've heard nine fifty. I've seen that reported. I, I know it's between. I always. I've been saying nearly a billion dollars, just because we don't. I didn't. I don't have the facts in front of me. But yeah, there's there there the reports at the time were you know between eight fifty and a billion, um, or close to a billion. Um, and we don't have the final. But yeah, it's it was. It was a discount still. I mean, that's 40% of a team were valued at over, it's, if it's sold right now, probably go over four and a half billion easily. I think that's the consensus. That's what the Broncos are going for. So they'll probably go for more. Even with, even with, even with a stadium that, that's, you know, was outdated when it opened, even, even without a new stadium, uh, solid plan for a new stadium, this, this is a valuable franchise. And it was much more valuable. You know, even in the Cowboys, if you go back 20 years, I mean, this was when they winning Super Bowls, playing at RFK, even before before FedEx. This team was worth a lot of money, um, and uh, it's and you know, talking around, talking to Jerry Jones, he's like, you know, this is the, they, the NFL needs a, a needs a stable franchise in DC. 
they need, they want a new stadium. They have, you know, they have faith. A lot of them have, do have faith still in the center to get that new stadium. But the fact that getting public money, you know, we, last week we got the, you, you saw how much money the bills got, $150 million from the city and county. You saw what Tennessee got for a stadium that we didn't even know they needed a month ago. You know, they're talking about refurbishing a stadium. Now the governor's like $500 million for something you don't even have plans for a new stadium yet. Well, while, while Dan's had, you know, this idea for a new stadium for many, many years and, um, and he's worked on it after stepping away last, last July, he's working, been working it. And I think there's, you know, there's a lot of, I think owners will probably privately say, and I've heard a couple rumblings about this, that, you know, they, they, they don't, you know, the trend stop for, for public support with, you know, that while, while Mark Davis got, got some, a lot of, not a lot, we got some help for, for the Las Vegas stadium. Um, Kroenke didn't get much of anything from LA. So the, so the trend of, of, of public financing was kind of gone the other direction with the NFL owners. Now it's kind of hip heated up again. Um, and now, and, and with, uh, with the, uh, the bills and now the, the Titans, I think, uh, you know, they're, you know, they don't want Dan to reverse that trend. <laughs> they want, they want, uh, they want as much public support. Um, you know, that's just, just, you know, these are, these are billionaires. They can afford it. I don't think Snyder still has a lot of money. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's not, He's not, he's not, he's not impoverished by any means whatsoever, <clears throat> excuse me, but, um, but, uh, you know, they, they do, they, they like to keep their money too. So that's why they're, they're hoping, uh, that they're, that, you know, if it's Virginia, Maryland, DC, that they get a little more than uh, $350 million, which it would be like 12% of the total cost of the stadium of a $3 billion stadium. Yeah. There just does not seem to be a lot of public money out there for the commanders regarding a new stadium. Uh, to those who say that Congress shouldn't be spending its time investigating a football team, especially whether the team skimmed off ticket revenue, that that really is an NFL issue and Congress should be spending its time looking into more important things. Do those people have a point? Is there merit to that line of thinking or is that a flawed way of thinking? I think there's some merit to it. I think there, 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 there's, you know, I, and I, I ran into this covering just, uh, East Steroid hearings, right, about 14, 15 years ago. Um, you know, this, this, it was the same thing. MLB was threatened to, you know, they were threatening and it was more, a real, more, a much more of a bigger threat back then to rip MLB's, um, an, uh, their antitrust exemption. The NFL's had one for almost 50 years, around 50 years now, um, for as well. And the, and, and, and that exemption allows them to pull to come together as, as as an entire league, all the owners to negotiate these TV deals, which back in the '60s when this started was not a big, you know, this TV money wasn't there. It wasn't until the early '90s that 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 the uh, TV revenue outpaced ticket ticket revenue and, and and other local income. So that so and we've seen how much money you know the NFL's king. The NFL is you can't time shift the NFL. You can't time shift live sports, and the, and the broadcast networks need that. So they've been paying a lot. You know, if for some reason they you know, there was enough political will, which I don't think there is at this point yet. But, um, you know, there's, uh, they could, you know, that, that, that would be an issue for the NFL if they lost that. I just don't think that's going to happen in this case yet. As of what we know right now, but it could. Um, so that's, that's why they got involved. You know, there's a lot of everybody, every time you tweet about this or I have a story about this, there's going to be like, aren't there bigger, bigger stories? Aren't there, aren't there bigger, bigger things we should be dealing with? You know, we got a war in Ukraine. We got, you know, rising inflation, all this other stuff that's going on. But yeah, this is a big committee, though. We got almost 50 mem- 50 staffers of that committee. They can do more thing, more than one thing at a time. And I and uh, I talked to Jackie Spear for a story that I ran in February. She cares about just about these hostile workplace uh, claims. And I think uh, 
And yeah, as she, she, she was like, why does Goodell, you know, keep turning a blind eye to Snyder? Um, and, and, uh, it, but, but yeah, it's, there's always that. And it's always politics. You see it on both sides when it, when I'm sure we, if for some reason the GOP was the one leading the investigation, the Democrats would be saying the same, <laughs> the same kind of things. That, so that's, that's it. It just, anytime they weigh in in sports, and I've covered several issues from sports betting to horse doping to, yeah, but that Congress has held hearings on over the years. You know, it's, there's, you know, the steroids, it's the HGH testing. There's, they, 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 they do get involved, um, sporadically and they always use the antitrust exemption as a reason why they are doing the investigation. Yeah, hard to ignore the partisan divide with Congress's involvement with the commanders, Democrats being for it, Republicans being against it, Dan Snyder having spent big money supporting Republican candidates. Uh, everything is political these days, as you well know. Yeah, he, he, yeah, yeah, he does give a lot more the money to the, to the other side, to the GOP side than they do to the side right now who's investigating them, the Democrats. Yeah, no doubt. Sports Business Insider, A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports. You can read his work at frontofficesports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at by A.J. Perez. That's B-Y-A-J Perez. A.J., keep killing it with your reporting, and thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, good stuff from A.J. Perez. Up next, the Commander's Team President, Jason Wright. Uh, he spoke at length on Friday about the team's search for a stadium. He provided details about the stadium. He also discussed the decline of the fan base of the team. You'll hear all of the key audio, and I'll give you my thoughts on what Jason had to say straight ahead. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, so on Friday's show, episode 283, had Eric Flack, chief investigative reporter for WUSA 9, on as a special guest. Uh, Eric has been doing some great reporting on the commander's quest for a new stadium. Uh, We did a deep dive on that quest. I would highly encourage you to check out our conversation if you haven't yet heard it. Uh, Well, Eric, on Friday, interviewed the president of the commander's, Jason Wright. Uh, They talked a lot about the commander's search for a new stadium. And so let's get into the most important things that Jason said. So we now know with certainty that the commander's next stadium will have a roof. Uh, Commander's insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com on February 28th reported that the commander's next stadium would have some type of a roof. Uh, Here was a Q&A between Eric Flack and Jason Wright on whether the commander's next stadium will have a roof. Are we going to get it done? Yes. Yes? Yes. Yes. You're saying right here today? Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be. Um, Because wherever this lands, it needs to not just be a a 15-event-a-year venue. It needs to be something that can draw 90, 100 events a year. Because that's what any community deserves in in terms of economic development activity. Um, And that needs to be a draw that brings people in day by day and allows a retail hospitality complex with hotels and exciting family experiences and dedicated public space to be something that is active 365 days a year and it just makes sense to have it climate controlled given our environment. Is it the translucent dome that you have? On you can, there's so many different things you can do and again because the design is going to be done in partnership with the community we're not designing a dome stadium and saying here you go whoever wants it, we're going to plop this down. It's going to be designed with the community because it needs to be seamlessly integrated into the landscape of that community. It needs to reflect the design aesthetic of the leaders in that community and the citizens of that community and the culture of that community itself. So depending on where the venue lands, it could look different, but it will be climate controlled. Okay, so there you go. The next Commander's Stadium will be a dome, Uh, although it was unclear from that exchange whether the stadium will have a fixed roof or a retractable roof. Uh, My hope remains that the Commander's next stadium will have a retractable roof as opposed to a fixed roof to completely lose any possibility of outdoor football for Commander's home games would be a shame. Uh, I get that retractable roofs cost a lot, but this entire stadium project is going to cost a lot. Uh, That said, I do get why the team wants some type of a roof. I mean, this stadium project is going to cost at least $3 billion, probably more, to go to that length to construct a stadium that only gets used for one or two preseason games per season, eight or nine regular season games per season, and then maybe a few concerts or soccer matches per year isn't good enough. Uh, The new stadium, in order to generate the revenue that the new stadium needs to generate, needs to be in use far more often than an outdoor NFL stadium realistically 
can be in use. I mean, the idea with this Commander's Next Stadium is for it to host many more concerts, to host the Final Four, to host uh, big WWE shows, you know, like WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble or SummerSlam or who knows what else. And yes, some of those things can be held outdoors, but you open yourself up to many more events when you at least offer the possibility of the events being indoors. Uh, the two biggest questions with the Commander's Next Stadium are where and when, right? Uh, I'll get to where the next stadium will be shortly, but let's deal with when the new stadium will be up and running. Uh, Q&A between Eric Flack and Jason Wright on the timeline for a new commander stadium. Are you guys running out of time to make a decision? 2027 is going to be here before we know it. You know, timeline is like, is the craziest thing to talk about at this stage. <laughs> is there any chance that you're playing here after 2027. Again, timeline is um, is so far from the top of my mind right now because we we have to figure out so many things in advance of understanding when we would be able to open up a new venue. That said, we're going to be playing here at least through uh, the 2026 season. But again, you're not closing the door on having to extend. No, you can't close the door on anything at this stage. All right, so Jason Wright saying that the Commanders will be playing at FedEx Field at least through the 2026 season and possibly beyond the 2026 season. Oh, lucky us. Uh, Now, look, this does make sense given where we are. I mean, it's 2022. There's no way that the Commanders at this point could have a new stadium ready to go earlier than the 2027 season, and we're probably looking at beyond then. The team's current lease at FedEx Field is set to expire in September 2027. Uh, So yes, prepare yourself for at least five more seasons of FedEx Field, possibly more. Uh, Again, lucky us. Uh, As for the location of the Commander's Next Stadium, so when it comes to Virginia versus Maryland versus Washington, D.C., in terms of where the Commander's Next Stadium will be, Virginia pretty clearly is in the lead. Uh, The standings right now are Virginia 1, Maryland 2, D.C. 3. Now, the extent of Virginia's lead on Maryland can be debated, but Virginia pretty clearly is the front runner. So much so that Virginia is looking like it's going to be reducing its stadium financing plan for the commanders from a billion dollars in bonds to $350 million in bonds, as Virginia has realized that it apparently had been bidding against itself and that public reaction to the commander stadium project in Virginia has been underwhelming. But even with this likely reduction in financial contribution from the state of Virginia, the $350 million in bonds is still more than what Maryland or D.C. is offering. Uh, Maryland seems willing to help pay for infrastructure for a new stadium, but not a new stadium itself. And D.C., I mean, who knows? Uh, I mean, D.C. seems almost out of the race at this point. Uh, Here was Jason Wright to Eric Flack on whether the stadium will go to the highest bidder. That's not at all how we're looking at this. Um, in fact, it's, just a, it's such a mischaracterization of the process. Uh, it's even difficult to consider all the different opportunities as apples to apples, because they're all incredibly unique. Um, the opportunities in Maryland, the opportunities in Virginia, they, they differ wildly. They differ wildly. And, um, and the only reason we're even having a conversation that cuts across jurisdictions, Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, is because we are uniquely situated here. You know, if we were in the middle of 
uh, a state where we weren't near any borders, then it wouldn't actually make sense to have this discussion. It's not, it's not inciting a bid bidding war. It's just actually the due diligence of finding one of the few places in the area that can accommodate a 100 to 200 acre true development of the scale that we think is appropriate. Um, and so uh, there's, there's no way to, to say it's going to be highest bidder here or highest bidder here because uh, the dollar amounts mean something different based on the nature of the site. Um, so it's really about the community telling us what their vision is and then figuring out where a live events venue of the type that we want to develop actually fits best and is going to generate the best outcomes for that area. And that's how the process will come to its finality when it does. All right. So what you very much get from Jason Wright whenever he speaks publicly is a lot of, shall we say, corporate speak, uh, a lot of McKinsey speak. Uh, Jason Wright is a former McKinsey partner. And I say this as a compliment. Jason Wright is a very good speaker. He has a very good vocabulary. His diction is very good. But he's also very good at doing the Joe Gibbs thing of saying a lot while really saying nothing. Okay. Uh, that answer that I just played for you was a very good answer from the perspective of the commanders. Will the stadium go to the highest bidder? No, that's not at all how we're looking at this. That's a mischaracterization of the process. The opportunities in Virginia and Maryland are very different. We're not inciting a bidding war. No, of course not. Uh, well done on Jason's part. I mean, of course money matters. Of course, how much Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. are willing to contribute to the construction of the new stadium matters. Uh, this new stadium likely is going to cost at least $3 billion, maybe much more. You know, SoFi Stadium in the Los Angeles area is believed to have cost more than $5 billion. So, of course, money matters. I mean, money may not be everything, uh, but money is a lot of a thing, okay? Especially if it's true that Dan Snyder is having cash flow issues. Remember what broke last Thursday? Multiple reports that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which is the congressional committee investigating the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, now is examining potential financial impropriety by the team. Uh, our guy, A.J. Perez, sports business insider for Front Office Sports, he last Thursday reported that the crux of the investigation into potential financial impropriety by the commanders is, quote, whether the commanders used two books of financial information that paint different pictures of the team's money situation and quote, and AJ also reported that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is interested in whether the debt load that Dan Snyder has undertaken is impacting the team's finances. As we discussed with AJ last segment, there is a belief out there that Dan is having cash flow problems. So which entity, Virginia, Maryland, Washington, D.C., offers the most money toward the construction of a new commander stadium? Uh, that does matter whether people want to admit to that or not. Now, as you likely know, there are a lot of people, maybe even a majority of people, who believe that no public money should ever go to a billionaire like Dan Snyder to build a stadium, especially a billionaire like Dan, who is an owner of a team in the wildly successful, absurdly rich professional sports league that is the NFL. Jason Wright was asked why those who say that are wrong. Here was his answer. Um, it's not about giving Dan money. <laughs> it's about uh, providing a destination experience for the community. You know, this is something that is going to be 365 days a year. That is um, retail, hospitality, um, live events. 
and it's designed in a way that seamlessly integrates into whatever community it's in. Um, this is about something that's going to generate economic outcomes, develop uh, experience, unique experiences for families, create memories over time. And then the venue itself should bring the best of what people have known about this franchise and the power of sports to bear to anchor that development complex. You know, when I, when I talk to people about this team and they share with me their best memories of being at a live game for this team, it, it mostly often goes back to RFK, right? That's right, it's you as well, right? And, and the things I hear are about the intimacy of that building, the sense of unity that was there, the connectedness that people felt with one another, people that were debating each other or maybe had uh, uh, hated one another in a different setting, somehow were slapping hands and hugging in burgundy and gold. And they were on those bleachers that, that shook and, and rattled, Only right? Only place in D.C. that was ever united. Right, exactly. And that's the legacy of this team. That's what we heard a ton in the rebrand process. And that's when we think about developing this new venue. Those are the design principles to bring forward into this new venue, irrespective of where it's located. Um, intimacy, authenticity, connection, and unity. Um, and so when you think about designing that, that is what you are bringing to the citizens of wherever this lands. And that's just the citizens there, it's everybody in the area. Because there's only one venue <laughs> for the team. It's not like people aren't gonna come from the different areas. Right, and that this is this will be the home of the team and an anchor for that that complex. So it should be something that draws people from all over. And if we design it with that in mind, it will. I liked the beginning of that answer. Quote: It's not about giving Dan money. End quote. Um, it's not about giving Dan money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not about giving Dan Snyder money, and then. Jason Wright launched into his corporate speak, and he gave another very political answer that was another very good answer from the perspective of the commanders. The truth is that Dan Snyder and the NFL, if they had to, could pay the entire cost of a new commander stadium. You know, for all of the talk that Washington, D.C. is basically done when it comes to the sweepstakes for which location gets the commander's next stadium. I mean, you could argue that if Dan really, truly wanted the commander's next stadium to be in Washington, D.C., that he could offer to pay for the whole stadium in Washington, D.C. But uh, Dan has not done that. Uh, Dan and the NFL, of course, do not want to pay the entire cost of a new commander's stadium. And so a big part, a huge part of this commander's quest for a new stadium is getting money from wherever the stadium will be built. Remember, we first learned that Dan Snyder was looking for a new stadium uh, all the way back in August 2014 via an interview that he did with what was then Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic, now is NBC Sports Washington. This process for a new stadium has taken far longer than the process was ever supposed to take. There are multiple reasons for that, but one of the biggest, heck, maybe the biggest, is that Dan has yet to receive the financial package that he wants, or at the very least, a financial package that he truly finds appealing. You know, states and cities are no longer just falling all over themselves to pay for stadiums. The con is up in many ways. Uh, now, another factor in all of this is the decline of the fan base of the team now known as the commanders. One of the things that I talked about with Eric Flack on last Friday's show was something that an anonymous state senator in Virginia said to Eric, quote, public reaction to this project 
has been underwhelming. With every passing day, it's evident the team lacks gravity, end quote. That Virginia State Senator also said the following to Eric, quote, a lot of us have concerns that the team has the ability to stay viable for a decade or even five years, end quote. Now, I do think that that last quote uh, was over the top. The idea that the commanders are going to have a hard time staying viable is ridiculous. NFL teams should all be profitable from just the league's television money alone. But the general sentiment being expressed there isn't without merit. The team now known as the commanders isn't what it once was. Take a listen to this. So Nielsen Scarborough is a national media research company. According to Nielsen Scarborough, 51% of adults in the Washington DMA were Redskins fans in 2004. DMA stands for Designated Market Area. So 2004, 51% of adults in the Washington DMA were Redskins fans. In 2021, that number was down to 29%. That is a stunning decline, is it not? 2004, 51% of adults in the Washington DMA were Redskins fans. 2021, just 29% of adults in the Washington DMA were Washington football team fans. Uh, I heard those numbers. I said to myself, are those numbers really actually true? Well, this was Jason Wright on whether he believes those numbers are true. I definitely believe the numbers. I definitely believe the numbers because when we walked in, we knew that the we, we quickly discovered that the fan base was not what it used to be. And that's obvious. That's obvious. What we've done is put in a new team. We've had a lot of turnover, and that's often a good thing to have the right people in the organization who operate with professionalism, high integrity, creativity, and investing in news. We've invested millions in, um, in FedEx here to, to create a new experience for folks. And that's what's paying dividends. It's, it's not that any of that is untrue about how the fan base eroded over time. What is also true at the same time is that it's on an upswing. And it's on a very sharp upswing. And that's the momentum that exists. And most certainly, that upswing accelerates further when you have a new venue in play. Um, and it's what our fans deserve and what they've been asking for for some time. Um, now, we're going to provide an improved experience at FedEx Field over the next few years. We have to do that. So it's not that we can stop investing here. We can't do that. In an ideal world, that's what you do. Ah, stop investing here and focus on the new. We can't do that. We, we can't do that to our fans. So we're going to create a great experience here. But there will be a world-class, next-generation experience in a new venue, and that will just add to the momentum we have already. So there was a lot there. Uh, First of all, Jason Wright on the massive decline in fans of the team, now known as the Commanders, quote, I definitely believe the numbers, end quote. So that definitely stood out. But Jason then paints a picture of a growing fan base, a picture of momentum. And again, he's saying what he needs to say. And in fairness to Jason, maybe he and the Commanders have metrics that suggest that the team in the short term, is experiencing some kind of an upswing. Uh, Here's what we do know. Washington, for the 2021 regular season, was dead last out of 32 NFL teams in percent capacity at home games. Uh, Washington, for the 2021 regular season, had an average attendance at home games that was just 64.3% of the capacity 
at FedEx Field. The next worst team was the Detroit Lions at 79.9%. So consider that for a moment. Washington dead last in the NFL at 64.3%. The next worst team was the Lions at 79.9%. 15.6 percentage points better. 15.6. The gap between Washington and the next worst team was larger than the gap between the team that was 30th in the NFL in the 2021 regular season in percent capacity at home games, the New York Jets, and the team that was number one, the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, think about that. So bad was Washington's home attendance in the 2021 regular season that the gap between Washington and the next worst team was larger than the gap between the team that was 30th in the NFL in the 2021 regular season in percent capacity at home games, the Jets, and the team that was number one, the Chiefs. So if Jason Wright has data that suggests momentum, uh, more power to him. But those attendance numbers for this past regular season were horrendous. Uh, You also heard Jason mention turnover. Oh boy, has there been turnover in the commander's business operations. You know, we on Friday had multiple reports of yet another departure from commander's business operations. Zaheer Benjamin, uh, he joined the team last May 24th as the team's first ever vice president of business intelligence and analytics. Uh, Zaheer Benjamin reported directly to Jason Wright, and yet now Zaheer is gone. Uh, Zaheer was a Jason Wright guy. Zaheer was a soccer guy. Before joining Washington, Zaheer served as the head of global partnership strategy for Real Madrid. Uh, Zaheer went to Princeton and to the MIT Sloan School of Management, you know, very bright guy, and yet he's now gone. Why? You know, Commander's Insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post this past Friday reported of eight high-level executives who have left the team since the start of the calendar year. Uh, Zaheer Benjamin, Vice President of Business Intelligence and Analytics. Ryan Calvo, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships. Christian Matthews, Vice President of Strategy and Sponsorship. Louis Schreck, Vice President of Partnership Sales and Marketing. Alexander Truitt, Vice President of Partnership Marketing. Hugh Nicholson, Vice President of Sales and Booking. Damon Jones, Chief Legal Officer. Chris Bloyer, Senior Vice President of Operations and Guest Experience. Uh, What's going on here exactly, okay? Uh, That's quite the list of Vice Presidents and high-level executives who all have left the team since the start of the calendar year of 2022. Perhaps you remember what Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington reported on March 23rd. Quote, team and league sources explained that at least 20 non-football employees have left since the beginning of the year. For one former team employee, that place is a mess. End quote. Again, what's going on here? Now, look, uh, we have no idea how the turnover in commander's business operations compares with the turnover in business operations for other NFL teams. It is funny to me how the inner workings of commander's business operations get reported on, and yet we rarely, if ever, hear about the inner workings of business operations of other NFL teams and of other area teams. I mean, ask yourself this, how often have you heard about who is in and who is out in Nationals business operations or Capitals business operations or Wizards business 
operation. So the commanders are under a scrutiny that really is comical at times. And off what Rod Rivera said in his press conference last Tuesday morning at the NFL's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida, you can see where he's coming from. Quote, we're an easy target. I get it. But quite honestly, I'm tired of it. I really am. But the only way to fix that is win. And that's the truth. That really is the truth. You have to win end quote. Uh, The commanders are an easy target. All of this reporting on their business operations is an example of that. The commanders are subjected to a scrutiny to which I'm not sure any other major professional sports team is subjected. But that said, that doesn't mean that the scrutiny is unfair. Uh, The team has had countless off-the-field problems and controversies. The team was dead last in the NFL by miles in home attendance for the 2021 regular season, if you go by percent capacity. Uh, We last Thursday learned that Congress now has questions about potential financial impropriety by the team. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) reporting on massive turnover in the team's business operations isn't exactly unfair and uncalled for and irrelevant. And so going back to Jason Wright painting this picture of a growing fan base, a picture of momentum, I mean, okay, maybe he has information that we do not have, but everything that I'm seeing suggests that things are not going so well right now and that there isn't positive momentum right now. Like if things are going well, why are all of these people leaving? You know, we on March 18th learned that Anheuser-Busch has decided to no longer sponsor the Commanders. Uh, That reportedly was a sponsorship worth at least $4 million per year. If things are going well, why did Anheuser-Busch drop the Commanders? Just like another sponsor, Medliminal, dropped the team. So there was a lot to digest from Jason Wright in his conversation with Eric Flack. Uh, If things are going better for the commanders than we realize, uh, more power to them, okay? And I mean that. I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. I don't root against the team's business operations, but if things aren't going well for the commanders from a business standpoint, in this never-ending search for a new stadium, and the declining fan base, and the many departures of business operations employees, and the loss of major sponsors like Anheuser-Busch are all meaning what we think that they mean, that the business side of the team isn't good. Well, that does beg this question, how much longer until Jason Wright is out? And maybe he's out by his own choice. Like, it may well be that the business operations turmoil, to whatever extent there is business operations turmoil, is a function of things beyond Jason Wright's control, you know, is, say, a function of Dan Snyder being the owner of the team, and that Jason is doing the best that he can in a bad situation. However, it may also be the case that Jason isn't doing a good enough job, you know? We don't know, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know. I do know this. Jason Wright is the commander's team president. He is in charge of business operations. If business isn't going well, you do have to ask yourself, how long until he leaves, either by his choice or the choice of someone else? All right, we move now to the non-commanders items from our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. The Capitals on Sunday night played in a game for the first time in six days. Uh, The Caps' previous game had not gone well, a 6-1 loss to the 
Metropolitan Division leading Carolina Hurricanes at Capital One Arena last Monday night. Uh, well, <laughs> the Caps game on Sunday night did not go well either. Uh, another blowout loss at home. Uh, the Caps got ripped by the Minnesota Wild 5-1 at Capital One Arena on Sunday night. Not good. Caps now are 37-22-10 this season. Uh, still have 84 points this season. Caps now are seven points behind the Boston Bruins for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference and are 11 points ahead of the New York Islanders for the second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the top two wildcard teams in each conference will make the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the Islanders on Sunday won their fourth consecutive game 4-3 at the New Jersey Devils. A uh, bad night for the Caps on Sunday night. They gave up two goals over the first one minute 37 seconds of the game. Uh, the Caps for the game had 13 giveaways to the Wilds too. Uh, that is horrendous. Uh, the Caps goaltending again wasn't good. Vitek Vanacek was the Caps starting goaltender for an 11th time in 14 games, but he stopped just 14 of the 18 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Vanacek, per natural stat trick, gave up two goals on high danger shots on goal and two goals on medium danger shots on goal. So Vanacek now has stopped just 32 of the 41 shots on goal that he has faced over the last two games. Uh, Vanacek in that Caps previous game, the 6-1 loss to the Hurricanes at Capital One Arena last Monday night, stopped just 18 of the 23 shots on goal that he faced and was pulled after two periods in favor of Ilya Samsonov. So Vanacek over the Caps last two games has given up nine goals over just five periods of work. And, you know, it's not like the Caps on Sunday night got smashed in the puck possession battle or were on the penalty kill a bunch. I mean, this game was set up for Vanacek to do well in it, and he again did not do well. Uh, the Caps on Sunday night per natural stat trick had 44 five-on-five shot attempts to the Wilds' 36. Uh, the Caps on Sunday night totaled 26 shots on goal to the Wilds' 19, and yet the Caps gave up five goals. Caps went 3-3 on the penalty kill, so again, it's not like the Caps or on the penalty kill a bunch. Uh, Goaltending for the Caps very much remains a concern. Caps on Sunday night went 0 of 1 on the power play. Caps on Sunday night did see three players return from injury. That was good. Center Nick Dowd returned from a five-game absence caused by an upper body injury. Forward Johan Larson finally made his Caps debut off having not played since being acquired by the Caps on NHL trade deadline day on March 21st due to having undergone sports hernia surgery in early February. And defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk on Sunday night was back from a five-game absence caused by an upper body injury. Caps do remain without forwards Carl Haglin and Joe Snively. Haglin out indefinitely off having undergone left eye surgery on March 1st. He suffered the injury in practice earlier that day. And Snively is out due to a left wrist injury. The Caps on March 6th announced that Snively had undergone a left wrist procedure and would be out four to six weeks. This was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Sunday night on shuffling his lines for this game on Sunday night. Listen, the, the consistency in which we want to play at a high level and be successful hasn't been there. It hasn't been great, especially the last uh, last couple, few games. We we especially the last game in Carolina, and so we put new players in the lineup today. Um, it was a starting point. The one person that I noticed all night was Tom Wilson. I noticed his strides, and I noticed him trying to compete. Just the the north that north south part of it and playing physical, and so. Uh, 
you know we've got to find we've got to find some chemistry with the new players that are here the players that we have and uh, we've got to we've got to find that yeah, so Peter Laviolette searching for some answers. Uh, Alex Ovechkin on Sunday night had a game-high four shots on goal and had the primary assist on the Caps' lone goal, which was a Garnett-Hathaway even-trained goal, 10-28 into the third period. Uh, the Caps now have just one game over the next five days, so another break of sorts for the Caps. So, but the game uh, will be a game against a good team. Uh, next up for the Caps, home to the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, Wednesday night at 7.30. All right, we move now to the Wizards. Uh, You know, the NBA is a league in which teams' performances fluctuate wildly. You know, a team can look great one night and then awful the next night. The NBA and the NHL are two leagues in which effort and thus performance can vary greatly. And so especially as we're now in the closing days of the NBA regular season, expect to see some crazy results in the NBA. Well, look no further than our Wizards, who over the weekend had a dominant win over a good team and then got destroyed by a good team. Friday night, a stunningly impressive 135-103 win over the Dallas Mavericks at Capital One Arena. Uh, As a night after being officially eliminated from play-in tournament contention, thanks to the Atlanta Hawks' 131-107 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers on Thursday night, the Wizards smashed a Mavericks team that came into the game 48-29 this season. The Wizards never trailed in the game, led by 34 points, in the fourth quarter. But then on Sunday afternoon, we had what you could call the Boston Massacre. Uh, The Wizards lost at the Celtics 144-102 on Sunday afternoon. Yes, a 42-point loss for the Wizards at the Celtics on Sunday afternoon. The Wizards' 42-point loss, their worst loss since a 116-69 loss at the Utah Jazz in December 2017. Yes, this was the Wizards' worst loss from a point differential standpoint in four and a half years. So the Wizards went from blowing out the Mavericks by 32 points at Capital One Arena on Friday night to getting embarrassed at the Celtics by 42 points on Sunday afternoon. Now, I'm not mad about the loss at the Celtics. Uh, That loss is good for Operation Ping Pong Balls uh, in the NBA Draft Lottery. But geez, what a Jekyll and Hyde weekend for the Wizards. Uh, The Wizards now are 34-44 and this season. They have just four regular season games left. I would say that it's possible that the Wizards have quit on the season. But again, the performance on Friday night was outstanding. Uh, The Wizards... Three-point defense in that blowout of the Mavericks at Capital One Arena on Friday night was good for a fifth consecutive game. Uh, The Wiz held the Mavericks to just 11-38 on threes. Uh, Did allow Luka Doncic to go four of nine on threes. He finished with 36 points, seven rebounds, and six assists. But he also committed five turnovers. Uh, The Wizards held the former Wizard, Spencer Dinwiddie, to 0 of three on threes and just eight points in 23 minutes, 24 seconds off the bench. Uh, The Wizards' offense on Friday night was excellent. The Wizards went 17 of 33 on threes, 
32 of 57 on twos, 20 of 22 on free throws, and the Wizards finished with 33 assists versus just nine turnovers. Uh, And the Wizards on Friday night got some great individual performances. Contavious Caldwell-Pope erupted in the game, 35 points in just 33-48 as a starter. He went 6 of 11 on threes, 7 of 8 on twos, 3 of 3 on free throws. He also had four rebounds. Uh, The ex-Maverick, Kristaps Porzingis, delivered on Friday night. 2 of 4 on threes, 6 of 14 on twos, 6 of 7 on free throws. He finished with 24 points, 9 rebounds, including 3 offensive boards, 4 assists, versus no turnovers and two steals in just 29-52 as a starter. Uh, Rui Hachimura on Friday night, three of four on threes, five of 10 on twos. He finished with 21 points, five rebounds, and four assists versus no turnovers in 28-41 as a starter. Uh, The Wizards' top two point guards, Thomas Sadoransky and Ish Smith, they on Friday night combined for 16 assists versus two turnovers. Uh, Wizards head coach, Wes Unsell Jr. continues to start Sadoransky at point guard over Raul Neto. Six consecutive games now. Sadoransky on Friday night in just 15-01 as a starter. Scored just two points, but had seven assists versus one turnover and four rebounds. Is Smith on Friday night in 30-16 off the bench. 0-2 on threes, but 6-10 on twos. He finished with 12 points, nine assists versus one turnover and four rebounds. Also good off the bench for the Wizards on Friday night was Denny Abdia, uh, 25-56 off the bench, three of five on threes, two of five on twos, finished with 14 points, four rebounds, three assists versus two turnovers. But then came the debacle at the Celtics on Sunday afternoon. Wizards never led after the first quarter. Uh, Their defense was atrocious. The Wizards allowed the Celtics to score 100 44 points, allow the Celtics to go 23 of 44 on threes, allow the Celtics to go 30 of 41 in the paint, and to score 60 points in the paint. And, you know, I mentioned someone like Rui Hachimura doing well on Friday night. Well, Rui on Sunday afternoon went scoreless. 24 minutes, 25 seconds as a starter, no points. Uh, He went 0 with 3 on threes, 0 with 2 on twos. Did have seven rebounds, but the Celtics put on a defensive clinic, the likes of which put the Wizards to shame. I mean, the Wizards really should have been taking notes during this game. In fact, here was Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon. It's a valuable lesson for all of us. I mean, sure, you know, you can take a lot from it. Um, they're, they're playing at an elite level for a reason. And yes, they have, you know, dynamic offensive players who kind of, you know, come on their back and they're, and they're playing at a high level, but defensively, they don't take possessions off. They don't have miscommunications or lapses. Uh, if they do, they're, they're minimal. Um, so we, we can grow in those areas and, and, and see, hey, teams take us out of, you know, what we try to do. Uh, we can learn from that. Let's be more, more aggressive. Let's not let teams play with a level of comfort uh, and make them work out execute us. Yeah, and the Wizards got out to execute head on Sunday afternoon. Now, it should be noted that the Wizards are without two of their best players. Kyle Kuzma now has not played in each of the Wizards' last nine games due to right knee tendonitis. Uh, To me, there is no point at this point in him playing again this season. Uh, The Wizards, of course, remain without Bradley Beal, who is done for the season due to a torn ligament in his left wrist on which he 
underwent surgery on February 10th. But still, the Wizards were good enough to smash the Mavericks on Friday night. Uh, So just four games left for the Wizards in the regular season. Three of the games will be on the road. Uh, The Wizards will have back-to-back road games this week at the Minnesota Timberwolves Tuesday night at 8 and at the Atlanta Hawks Wednesday night at 8. All right, let's talk some baseball. Uh, Major League Baseball's opening day is this Thursday. Uh, The 2022 MLB regular season is coming, and so we have had some Nationals news over the last few days at Nat Spring Training in West Palm Beach, Florida. The expected now is official. uh, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats opening day starter. Uh, The Nats will begin their 2022 regular season with a four-game series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park, and Corbin will start the Nats opening day game uh, this Thursday afternoon at 4.05. That was made official on Saturday. Uh, Corbin basically is the Nats opening day starter by default. I mean, understand Corbin for the 2021 regular season had a 582 ERA, which was the worst ERA among all qualified pitchers in the majors. Uh, A team's opening day starter, of course, is supposed to be the team's number one starting pitcher, you know, the team's ace. Uh, That the Nats on this year's opening day will be starting a pitcher who for the 2021 regular season was dead last among qualified pitchers in the majors in ERA tells you everything that you need to know about the state of the Nats pitching. Now, I'm rooting for Corbin to bounce back this coming season of his back-to-back bad seasons. He did pitch well in four of his five starts last September, but it's just so hard to know what to expect from Corbin. His numbers really have plummeted over the last two seasons. Patrick Corbin is entering his age 32 season in the fourth season of a six-year, $140 million contract that he signed in December 2018. Uh, My hope is that Corbin pitches well this coming season, and then the Nats trade Corbin this coming season. Uh, Trade him this summer to add to the team's inventory of prospects. Uh, You know, the Nats might have to pay some of the rest of that contract, but I could see a contending team wanting Corbin if he's pitching well. And to me, with where the Nats are at, you don't try to fix Patrick Corbin and then hope that he's still good when you're finally good as a team again. No, age 32 season, entering year four of a six-year contract. Trade him this summer if, in fact, he's pitching better and get back a prospect or prospects. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think about it like this. Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo last summer found a taker for John Lester in the St. Louis Cardinals. And Lester was really struggling as a starting pitcher for the Nats last summer. Uh, But the Lester trade is how the Nats got outfielder Lane Thomas. So if Rizzo could find a taker for Lester, Rizzo surely could find a taker for Corbin if Corbin is pitching well this coming season. Uh, While we're talking Nats starting pitching, we on Sunday learned that Steven Strasburg will remain at the Nats spring training facility in West Palm Beach, Florida for the beginning of the 2022 regular season. Like with the Corbin opening day starter announcement, no surprise With this Strasburg news, uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez on March 23rd said that the goal for Strasburg in the 2022 regular season is him making, quote, 20 to 25 starts, end quote. Uh, The Nats are taking things rather conservatively with Strasburg, and the Nats should be doing that given uh, what he's coming off of. Season-ending surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. He underwent the surgery 
last July 28th. I've talked about this procedure. This is a super serious procedure for pitchers. Strasburg may never be the same again as a pitcher, but if he is going to be good again as a pitcher, proceeding cautiously with him uh, is the way to go. I don't think that anybody disputes that. Uh, Also, the Nats over the last few days have cut various players. Uh, The Nats late Sunday afternoon reassigned outfielder Gerardo Parra to minor league camp and option catcher Tres Barrera to AAA Rochester. The Nats on Sunday reassigned pitcher Aaron Sanchez to minor league camp. The Nats on Saturday reassigned multiple players to minor league camp, including starting pitcher Cade Cavalli and reliever Tyler Clippard. And the Nats on Saturday announced that outfielder Andrew Stevenson had cleared outright waivers and had been assigned to AAA Rochester. He had 48 hours to decide whether to accept the assignment or opt for free agency. The Nats on Sunday announced that Stevenson had declined the free agency and accepted his assignment to Rochester. So with Para and Stevenson having been cut, uh, that means that unless the Nats acquire someone, D. Strange Gordon and Yadiel Hernandez will begin the regular season as the Nats' backup outfielders. So the Nats' starting outfielders are set to be Juan Soto in right field, Victor Robles in center, and Lane Thomas in left. The Nats on Sunday afternoon, by the way, announced that uh, they had agreed on a one-year contract with Robles, avoiding arbitration. You know, D. Strange Gordon has had an impressive camp for the Nats. Uh, he is one of many older players who the Nats have brought in. He was signed by the Nats to a minor league deal. This coming season will be his age 34 season. Uh, D. Strange Gordon did not play in the majors last season. He last played in the majors in the 2020 season for the Seattle Mariners. He's not a very good hitter, but he is a good base runner and he's defensively versatile. Uh, D. Strange Gordon over his 10 major league seasons, 2011 through 2020, has played second base shortstop in the outfield. Uh, I do want to say this about Andrew Stevenson. He has been an elite pinch hitter in recent seasons. Uh, Now, because we now have a universal designated hitter, i.e. the DH in the National League, uh, pinch hitters have been devalued in the National League, but Stevenson uh, will play for the Nats at the Major League level this coming season. I have no doubt about that. But how about this? Andrew Stevenson, over the last three regular seasons, 2019 through 2021, 76 plate appearances as a pinch hitter, He, over those 76 plate appearances as a pinch hitter, has a batting average of 368, an on-base percentage of 434, and a slugging percentage of 529. His overall offensive numbers are not good, but his pinch hitting offensive numbers are terrific. Uh, Cade Cavalli, as expected, will begin his season pitching for AAA Rochester, but barring the unforeseen, uh, we will see him make his Major League debut this coming season, and that debut will be a big deal. Cade Cavalli is the number 39 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, and Tyler Clippard being reassigned to minor league camp is more about him just needing more time to get ready for this season. Clippers entering his age 37 season. The Nats just signed him to a minor league contract in late March. And let's talk some Orioles before we call it a show. Uh, a few things from O-Spring training in Sarasota, Florida over the last few days. Uh, the O's on Saturday night announced that they had agreed with First baseman slash outfielder Trey Mancini on a one-year contract for the 2022 season with a mutual option 
for the 2023 season, avoiding arbitration. Uh, Mancini is guaranteed $7.75 million with the deal per reports. Uh, the O's were headed toward arbitration hearings with Mancini and starting pitcher John Means. And when I say headed, uh, I mean headed because the O's are known for taking guys to arbitration hearings. Uh, the O's for years have had this arbitration philosophy of file and trial. In other words, if you file, uh, we take you to trial. Uh, we're not settling with you before the hearing. Well, interestingly, the O's did settle with Trey Mancini. Uh, I don't think that this changes much of anything regarding his future with the team. I do still expect the O's to trade Mancini, and the O's should trade Mancini. He's entering his age 30 season and his final season of team control. Yes, he does have the mutual option for 2023, but mutual options are almost never realized because both the player and the team have to exercise the option and That just rarely happens. Uh, Also with the O's, their top prospect, catcher Adley Rutschman, is on the mend. Uh, O's manager Brandon Hyde on March 16th revealed that Rutschman had sustained a right tricep strain, forcing him to be shut down for a few weeks. Well, Hyde on Sunday said that Rutschman has resumed hitting and throwing activities. So good news there. Now, there's no concrete timeline for Rutschman to get into game action. So it still may be a while until he plays in a game. He figures to make his season debut playing for AAA Norfolk, but we do know that he'll be making his major league debut this coming season, uh, barring the unforeseen. And so that brings us to the most significant Orioles item of the last few days. Uh, MLB Pipeline on Friday ranked the Orioles as having the number one farm system in baseball. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe Angel, the O's are in the win column. Uh, The O's have the number one farm system in baseball per MLB pipeline. This is yet another example of the Orioles rebuild. As lengthy and as painful as the rebuild has been, actually working. Now, having the number one farm system in baseball guarantees the O's nothing in terms of wins and losses. I get that. But the Orioles for years had a horrendous farm system. Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias really has done a good job of rebuilding the farm system. Uh, The O's per MLB pipeline have five of the top 100 prospects in the sport. Catcher Adley Rutschman is the number two prospect in baseball. Starting pitcher Grayson Rodriguez is the number six prospect in baseball and is the number one pitching prospect in baseball. Shortstop slash third baseman Gunnar Henderson is the number 64 prospect in baseball. Outfielder Colton Kowser is the number 66 prospect in baseball. And lefty starting pitcher D.L. Hall is the number 90 prospect in baseball. So the Orioles' number one farm system in baseball, five of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Not bad. Uh, The O's at the major league level are going to be bad again this coming season. Uh, That is true, and uh, that's not good. And the Orioles' major league roster on Sunday evening seemingly got worse with the O's agreeing to trade relievers Tanner Scott and Cole Sulser to the Miami Marlins. But I do believe that this coming season uh, may well be the last season before the team finally starts to turn things around. The Uber prospects are coming, led by Adley Rutschman.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday's show, episode 285, will feature much more on the Commanders. I have a few things in mind. We'll see what comes up in terms of news over the course of our Monday. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Um, it's not about giving Dan money. <laughs>